it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force, on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the Bikini. And once again, I feel like I have to ask, is this really the best time to start an episode of this podcast thing? Well, perhaps not. Admitting you've done something less than perfect. I'm shocked. Well, you didn't let me finish. Perhaps not, but... Ah, here it comes. But as you can see, in a shockingly convenient manner for us, after tearing out of the down Ventuvi, the behemoth, who most likely wants to fight, has started powering up. Right. Uh, so we should attack him now before he has a chance to finish and reach his full power, right? What are you, new? Wait. Wait, you are new. You're a new recruit, so yes you're new let me explain how this works okay we stand here talking while he powers up and and that's it it takes him at least a full episode which is definitely not a filler episode that was added simply because we haven't quite covered all the topics we wanted to in our first season of broadcasting this podcast and while he does so we talk that's stupid. You could just blast him with your Zeri Blast and we could be out of here. You know, you just... You don't get it. You don't get how it works, do you? If let your enemy reach full power so he can crush you is how it works, then I don't think I want to get it. Well, be that as it may, it's time to delve into this week's topic. <laughs> and this week... We are going to be covering a couple things. Uh, we're, we'll talk a little bit more about this towards the end, but we're in kind of a weird sort of gap uh, where the anime and the manga are both ending and beginning new story arcs. Uh, and so we've got a couple episodes of the anime to cover before we get to uh, recapping the manga like we usually do when we hit the end of a story arc. So we're going to cover two episodes of the, of the anime today. And then, and then the manga, and like we usually do go over the similarities and differences between the manga and the anime. 
the two episodes are The Secret of Dr. Flap or Flappe. I'm not super clear on that. And A Trip to the City. And they're two simple filler episodes. Mostly filler. It's like, it's like a weird combination of filler and some of the actual things that happen. Everything that actually happens in these episodes takes place in like, I don't know, three pages of, of the manga. But... <laughs> But it is, you know, it's it's in there. And this is episodes 42 and 43 of the anime. And, um, you know, we start off and Goku is back at Suno's house. And they're all eating a happy dinner together. They are relishing in their victory when the mayor of the village says, Hey, you know, Ader, you can you can live with us. You can live in this town. And he's like, oh, that's so awesome. Thank you, except I can't. And Goku's like, why not? You know, they they won't judge you. You can just be happy here. And he's like, yeah, except I have a bomb in my chest. And if it explodes, I would destroy the whole village. And I don't want that blood on my hands. And Goku's like, oh, good point. <laughs> and uh, they come up with then, you know, how do we get this bomb out of you? And they're like, well, the creator lives, I don't know, just over the hills. So let's have him, you know, take the bomb out. So they go find this Dr. Flap. <clears throat> As they go to find him, Ninja Murasaki comes out of the wreckage of Muscle Tower uh, that Ader destroys. Did he destroy that at the end of the last episode or right at the beginning of this? I now can't remember. I think it's at the very beginning of this episode yeah he like he he punches a bunch of holes in the bottom and it collapsed well ninja murasaki because remember he didn't get punched into oblivion like general white did uh, he's still alive so he comes out and he starts stalking them and you get a bunch of this is this is the specific part of this episode that really feels fillery is you get like a bunch of like kind of stalk sequences of him stalking them and then like dressing up in a bear costume to try and hide himself and at one point they go across a bunch of ice and he falls under the ice is only barely able to get out like that all feels that part definitely all feels super filler. Um, then they, they meet this Dr. Flap and he agrees to take the bomb out. And so he takes the bomb out and then there, there's like a little, a little diversion basically with Murasaki trying to kidnap either Flap or Snow. I can't, I quite frankly, it's, it's been a minute since I actually watched this episode and it ultimately doesn't matter because then like Murasaki just gets punched into oblivion. Like he just gets punched across the countryside. <laughs> and so that. <laughs> That's the last we see of him then. And then Flap says, oh, I'll try and fix the dragon radar for you because the dragon radar has broken. Um, you know, Goku's ready to go on his next adventure and he's like, oh, it must have broke because it was in my pocket. Uh, he tries to fix it. He can't. He's like, oh, whoever made this thing must be a genius. And Goku's like, my friend Bulma made it. She lives in West City. And they're like, oh, that's that's that way. And he's like, all right, see you later then. I'll be going now. <laughs> and they're like, what you just how are you gonna get there and he's like i'm just gonna walk and they're like walk <laughs> and he's like well yeah my nimbus exploded and they're like oh just call to it <laughs> so he calls and to nimbus now that the nimbus is indestructible yes we Apparently. find out that flying nimbus cannot be destroyed uh, as long as 
you have the purity in your heart or whatever, it'll always come when you call it. So it comes and picks Goku up and it takes him to the city. And I'm torn. Like that's, that's then a lot of that. What I just described happens in this, a trip to the city episode. Goku says goodbye to Ader and the village. I almost said the village people. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of prefer that to be honest. (laughs) But he says goodbye given to... some of given some of Toriyama's character designs for for other people, it it, it could almost work. It's a, it's almost surprising that that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but he says goodbye to all them and he leaves, and then he goes to West City. What we have then is stuff that is part of the next saga uh, in in the manga. But the anime doesn't consider it part of that yet. But Goku arrives in West City. You get some fish out of water stuff where he's like, do you know where Bulma lives? And they're like, Bulma? Like, do you have a last name that you could give me? And he's like, no, her name's Bulma. And they're like, you're weird. So nobody knows who Bulma is. And trying to find her, he gets in a cab. And the guy's like, where to? And he's like, Bulma's house. And the guy's like wait a minute, do you have any money? And then he's like, no, I don't have any money. And so he kicks him out and Goku's like, oh, you need money to find out where Bulma is. So he finds a street fighter having a fight and he challenges the guy and beats him pretty easily, gets his money. And then he finds a, someone tells him to go find a police officer. And he's like, oh, thanks for the advice. Here's a bunch of money. (laughs) Easy come, easy go with Goku. And then he sees the police officer, and he's like, Bulma, Bulma, Bulma. Do you mean this Bulma? She's, like, with the Capsule Corporation? And Goku's like, oh, maybe. And he's like, oh, she's super important. And then, like, that's kind of how it ends. This guy's going to take him to go see Bulma. Like I said, these are mostly filler episodes. Like, a lot of what happens in them does happen in the manga, or it happens slightly differently. But what it really means is there's not a ton of information readily available on them, but there are some interesting things. One just brief little goof or whatever is that Ninja Murasaki's sword magically replaces itself during the flashback sequence, despite it having been destroyed by Goku when they were fighting and not replaced by Murasaki. So then we get into this Dr. Flap. His name is based on the drink, the Frappe. And as far as his design, I really tried... We tried to look into it. We pride ourselves on being pretty heavily researched here. And when I say pretty heavily researched, (laughs) I mean we read like a book and a few interviews. Our Google Google foo is strong. (laughs) We read like a book, a few interviews, a couple articles. I mean, we're not tearing into the actual text that things came from itself particularly, right? But we're reading other people's research. And parroting it. I tried tried to research this, but all I came up with for Dr. Flap, for his design, and maybe this is just due to uh, an image I have in my head or something, general lack of knowledge of Japanese pop culture, maybe he looks like someone famous in Japan that I can't quite ping, but I think he looks a little bit like Leon Trotsky. And it's a comparison... That I also think he, he he looks like Leon Trotsky, so you're not alone. <laughs> and I think I think the comparison makes a little bit of sense if you think about some of the things we've already established that the Red Ribbon Army is a red army based at least in part on the communist army of the Soviet Union. 
So if you take some of those themes and ideas, you could conceivably create a character who was part of the army's establishment and who had higher ideals and goals, but was forced by the leadership when it changed at some point or something changed to do things that started to conflict with what he actually believed until he was ultimately drummed out and exiled. That's that's what who Dr. Flap is, and that's actually very much who Trotsky was. He was very good friends with Lenin. He was very much a, a Leninist and a Marxist, and as Stalin started rising to power, he had a falling out with the leadership of the Soviet Union and was exiled. And he wrote so much against Stalin, was so... Stalin is not a Marxist, Stalin is a dictator, that Stalin multiple, multiple times over the ensuing years, I think it's like the next 30, maybe 20 years, multiple times tried to have Trotsky assassinated until he finally succeeded. I forget the person's name who assassinated him, but he drove a, an ice pick, not an ice pick, but an ice axe into Trotsky's head. It didn't actually kill him right away. He ended up bleeding out like two days later in the hospital. Is this maybe a stretch? Maybe, but this character doesn't even exist in the manga, so there's not much else to go on. He does introduce this potential plot hole with later revelations that Dr. Giroux created all the androids. That's pretty easily hand-waved away as revisionist history on the part of Giroux in excluding a collaborator in his work. If you're looking for like an in-universe explanation, if you're looking for... The actual explanation, it's that Toriyama doesn't even know this guy exists. <laughs> <laughs> we never see Dr. Flap again until Toyotaru, the guy who's currently drawing Dragon Ball Super, and he's Akira Toriyama's chosen successor in this franchise, draws him into a piece of Jocko the, the, Jocko, the Galactic Patrolman art, where he is among many other of the mad scientists of the Dragon Ball universe at a science convention. It's the only other time we ever see him in anything official for Dragon Ball again. One other note on him is, again, tying this back to the Soviets and the Soviet Union, this is maybe an even more remote possibility, but he could kind of be based on the general idea and known history of Soviet scientists who partook in what we would call mad science. In particular, he kind of, sort of, a little bit resembles this one. I honestly, somehow I stumbled upon this, like he's sort of based on a mad scientist of Soviet era type of stuff. And so then I Googled just a list of Soviet era mad scientists. <laughs> And they had like 20 of them with pictures. This was the one that he just mostly closely resembled. He kind of sort of resembles Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov, a notable Soviet scientist who is obsessed with interspecies hybridization. That's obviously not a trait necessarily ascribed to Dr. Flap, but the resemblance between them exists a little bit. And Ivanov was... Kind of an interesting character, not character, he was a real person, but he's an interesting person. He helped advance the science of artificial insemination in general and implemented it practically in horse breeding with quite a bit of success. He managed to increase the number of mares that a stallion or a stud could uh, impregnate from like 13 to 20 to 500. So you could, I guess... <laughs> thank this guy for the horse baby boom um 
But he then, because he was obsessed with interspecies hybridization, once he had perfected his artificial insemination process, he went several steps further and attempted to create ape-human hybrids. Uh, he attempted to inseminate like five or I think it was like I couldn't I wasn't super clear if he made three attempts at inseminating some number of chimpanzees or attempted to inseminate three chimpanzees. Either way, he attempted to insem inseminate chimpanzees with human sperm. And after more than one failed attempt, he arranged a set of reverse experiments involving inseminating human women volunteers. Volunteers. Although maybe because it's the Soviet Union, that word volunteers comes in some quotes. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> But inseminating human women with ape sperm. But all of his apes died before he could carry out the experiment. Perhaps for thank, the best. Thank God for small miracles, I guess. Connect Again, the connection to Dr. Flap is probably not super likely. But it's filler. I'm stretching to connect some dots. And hey, at least we learned something about Soviets trying to make ape people. Is this where we spin off into a Planet of the Apes podcast? Hey, that's like maybe my favorite movie franchise, so I'm down. <laughs> I might be. <laughs> Anyways, so <laughs> just a tonal shift here. Uh, so likewise, the trip to the city episode is mostly filler, being a mix of kind of like filler and non-filler with twists and changes from the manga. Uh, there's not a ton to note about the episode, but there are a few items to point out. Bruce Lee lookalike is identical in design to the fighter Krillin eliminated in the preliminaries at the World Martial Arts Tournament. It's not ever stated if they're the same fighter, but it seems pretty unlikely, given this fighter's hubris in the face of Goku, that he doesn't recognize him. So it's probably not the same guy. The fighter who the Bruce Lee lookalike defeats is exclusive to the anime and is a recycling of General Rope. Uh, General White with a different haircut. Goku is holding the bag of money for winning the match before Bruce Lee actually submits, which is Whoopsie. a little out of character for him. <laughs> there are a couple interesting things happening in the background of this episode. For one, there's a poster on the wall at one point advertising Dragon Ball's TV slot. And for another, there's a TV that at one point shows a woman holding down a billowing white dress, which is a reference to a pretty iconic scene and image of Marilyn Monroe from the movie The Seven Year Itch. Interesting fact on Seven Year Itch, by the way, despite the movie's reputation, which saw it win a Golden Globe and be called out on several best ever lists by like AFI and New York Times, etc., the director, Bill Wilder, called it a, quote, nothing picture, unquote, that he felt straightjacketed while making and he wished uh, he had never made it. Uh, he wanted the main character to actually have an affair with Marilyn, but he said you weren't allowed to do such thing in the 50s. The movie just kind of comes off as nothing and is one where he wished that he could have made it in the 70s as opposed to the 50s to actually closer fit his vision. One final note here. We're in an odd sort of space right now, story-wise. The anime has begun to run into where the next structured portion of the story begins uh, with Muscle Tower now entirely behind us. And the anime having dealt with a couple of minor plot holes the manga never did by simply moving on. However, according to the way the anime is structured... This is still part of what it considers the Red Ribbon Army saga, and in fact, the next two episodes are as well. However, Shelly and I feel like now is probably the proper time to hit the usual break where we you know, hit the end of a saga, do a comparison to the manga. We've left Muscle Tower. 
we're beginning a new adventure. So even though the anime waits until the next adventure actually begins and leaves West City to call itself part of the new saga, we're going to shift that point to where we are right now instead, where it's pretty clear that the previous saga is, more, is, is ended and a new one is now just starting to ramp up. The anime and the manga don't line up exactly. Shocker. And it's time to discuss the Red Ribbon Army in the manga. Yeah, that's that's wild about that Some Like It Hot thing. You know, you make this movie that it won a Golden Globe and it's really well highly regarded and you're like, yeah, it's a piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> like all great artists, he looks at his art and goes, no, that's not good enough. Yeah. To get in our requisite Godzilla discussion for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> We've hit our quota. The director of like half of the earlier era of Godzilla movies, like all the ones in the 60s and 70s, the guy who directed like half of those, uh, June Fukuda, has like his interviews. If you ever go look this guy up, He'll have interviews and people are like, what are your favorite movies that you've made? Like not Godzilla, just that you've made. And he's like, none of them. <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, no, like, what about, like, this one? And he's like, oh, God, not that piece of crap. <laughs> Lovely. So, yes, yeah, some people just really hate what they do. <laughs> That's like, uh, Hayao Miyazaki is that way, too. Have you ever heard, like, an interview with that guy? Like, Yes, he's very, very, very perfectionist. Despite, despite his stuff being, like, super charming and super heartwarming and generally positive, generally positive in nature he is like everyone would have just been better off if i was never born and <laughs> like <laughs> another one that pops in my head is uh stanley kubrick and his perfectionism that drove a lot of his actors nuts yes akira kurosawa was the same way he like in his waning years was so bad that there are actually some of his later movies you could almost say that they were actually directed by Ishiro Honda rather than uh, Akira Kurosawa because like he would like go through set deck and if a desk drawer had like the wrong thing inside the drawer a drawer that was never meant to be opened during the scene anyways he would just like storm off the set and leave <laughs> so that's a little much yeah I didn't know that about him. That's interesting. Yeah, he was he he got he got more crotchety as the, the older he got too. <laughs> and then and then you contrast that too. It's just it's funny. It's funny with Miyazaki and Jun Fukuda and this some like a hot guy because these are like fun, poppy, fun things, you know, like heartwarming and good escapist entertainment and the director's like, "No, that's crap. I hate it." Like they have just such a their work does not reflect their personality at all. And then you look at like, just to contrast that, like you look at Junji Ito, who is a, a mangaka who makes like some of the just, most, just, just horrifying Google. stuff. Yes. <laughs> just Google Junji Ito. You don't even and... need to actually like read the stories. Just look at some of the art panels and you'll just be like, what is wrong with this guy? Yes. But then he will show up. And do interviews with people wearing, like, cat ears. And, like... I think he he's also, like, a generally a very friendly guy, too, isn't he? Yes, he's super friendly. He's super, like, fun. And, like, out, like it's just... 
It's just funny. <laughs> People have like there's a very famous picture of Junji Ito with cat ears. It's got like the art and it's got one of his like messed up drawings and then the artist and it's him like wearing these cat ears and being like a total goober. And then <laughs> and then it's it it's got um the art and it's like a Miyazaki like beautiful piece of art. And then it's the artist and there's like a caption of him being like Everything sucks and it's all terrible. <laughs> I think maybe there's something to be said of of people who deal well. I guess it's the idea of you have to go through bad times to know what the good times are. And so I'm wondering if for like a happy person if it's easier to imagine something horrifying because it's so different from what your normal everyday life is. Right. And maybe at the same time it's also easier for people who have issues with i wouldn't necessarily say depression but maybe just like a myopic worldview where it's easier for them to 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 visualize this sort of idealist fantasy because it's so different from the world they experience it's like escapist fantasy for each of them but you end up at just opposite ends of the spectrum because they're on opposite ends of this you know junji ito wants to escape from his from his happy, colorful world into the deranged, and <laughs> and Miyazaki wants to escape from, you know, thinking that all of entertainment was a mistake by by making something beautiful, you know. Uh, but so so back to Dragon Ball it was a fun diversion, though. This is where we've dedicated whole episodes to discussion discussion of the manga in the past, but. They're they're pretty dang similar this time. We've still got Goku leaving the the World Martial Arts Tournament, getting his his Kintoun or Flying Nimbus, as it were, blasted with a bazooka and having to fight the Red Ribbon Army, and then realizing that they are bad guys and the robot taking him to the north and the robot freezing and him being rescued by Sano and then going on fighting his way through Muscle Tower. That's, there's like no change in any of that. Mm-hmm. There's a few differences to note, though, that we haven't hit on. There's a couple things worth pointing out, I think. Uh, the grunts who work for Silver. Do, remember Colonel Silver from way back at the beginning of this? Uh, uh, vaguely, vaguely. Yeah. They, they're a little bit more hillbilly in what they're wearing and especially their speech. You know, they... they uh, they say like "oh yeah," like at one point, and what in the heck is that? And I've been scratching and scratching and a poking. Like that's quite a bit more. I feel like the guys in the anime were just like, "We're just looking for this Dragon Ball." There's also that that bit about like Goku having the Dragon Ball stolen by monkeys and kind of befriending the monkeys. That's that's not in the manga at all, and we don't build to silver. The way the anime does. We don't show him really fighting others or doing those workouts and the slow reveals. He just kind of shows up and then fights Goku and gets his butt kicked. And he also only ever speaks to Commander Red on the phone and never in person. Then also in the anime, the sequence where Goku fights the two guys who break into Suno's house has Goku in the bathroom. But in the manga, they just burst in like while he's in the house and then they fight. There's no fake out moment with them blasting shooting up the the bathroom and like you get the fake out death also major metallotron as he is called in the in the anime is in this 
called Full Metal Jacket. That's at least in the Vizbig translation that I've been reading. I, like I don't it. know That's if it was the one. same for you. No, I believe it was Metallotron, but I think I'm looking at probably fan translations, possibly. Yeah. In the, in the Vizbig, he's called Full Metal Jacket. A, there's another layer of referencing, right? <laughs> wow, yeah. Although, although nothing... No, no explicit Full Metal Jacket references otherwise, you know? No uh, no Lee Army. Although, man, Lee Army... No. A, a no. Lee Army riff character in Dragon Ball would be awesome. I think it would be a good swap out for General White, honestly. Oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Especially because then, then the robot's called Full Metal Jacket, and then you have Lee Army uh, as General White would be pretty good. Yeah, that'd be great. Then I had I have another note here. So when we first meet Full Metal Jacket or Major Metalatron, as Goku is climbing up to meet him, this is on this is in chapter fifty eight of the manga. He goes up and there is a floor two and a half. And on floor two and a half there's like some kind of I don't know, it looks like a, a seat with like a control panel. Is almost what it looks like. But it's just kind of interesting. It seems like every floor that Goku goes up to, there's actually a half of a floor as well. Because you could see as he as he's fighting Metalatron, there's a, a ledge kind of behind them with more steps going up from it. So there's also a floor three and a half. Um, I just kind of thought that was interesting. I don't know why. And then my last, or not my last, but you know, one of one of my last notes really is, Ninja Murasaki is not called Ninja Murasaki in the trans in the Vizbig translation. He's called Sergeant Major Purple. I only think that's kind of significant because, as we talked about when we did our Murasaki episode, he's the only named member of the Red Ribbon Army who doesn't go by an English name for his color right everyone else is silver yeah. or red or white or god is that is that one guy really called brown actually i think it might be black either way <laughs> either way it's not great <laughs> yeah he's he's murasaki which just means purple in japanese but for them to kind of sort of translate that instead of more transliterating it 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 slightly i i think it, it gives like a different color <laughs> to the character a little bit right and his relationship with the rest of the army i laughed at that joke but it hurt on the inside <laughs> it was not a completely intentional pun but i damn sure i'm gonna let it stand that's that's fair enough i'll i'll let it slide for now in the anime when goku's chasing murasaki the ninja throws down caltrops that hurt Goku's feet, and we see him run back to this little house and find those traditional Japanese like wooden shoes uh, and then begin his pursuit again. But in the manga, the shoes just appear on his feet. It's a bit more of a gag in that respect, kind of like he's pulling the shoes out of hammer space. Uh, we mentioned at one point that Murasaki hits Goku in the head and knocks him unconscious, and there's a specific call-out to Journey of the West and Sun Wukong fighting Lao Tzu. The remark about Goku's head being diamond hard, specifically the word diamond is in bold, uh, which shows we're supposed to be emphasizing and taking note of the comparison, and that just kind of drives that call back home. 
Uh, Android 8? No, he's called Mechanical Man number 8. And he's not called Aider, but rather 8-Man. There's a bunch of stuff in the anime about Aider and Goku getting lost in a maze that General White controls. That's filler. Doesn't show up. Booyan? No. Name change from The Jiggler, which is an interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to look into it too much. Uh, and his lair seems more like just a concrete room and less of that sort of dungeon aesthetic with bones scattered around and whatnot. Yeah, it's less dark and scary. I don't know. I, I picked up on that big time. It just seems like, oh, they're in just another room fighting him. At one point, Goku rebuffs a challenge from Booyan slash the Jiggler. I, Booyan is such a better name. <laughs> It really is. It really is. But he says something like, oh, I'm not going to fall for that again. And that's just more of us seeing Goku's wishing his natural ability of being able to understand techniques that others employ and learn them and how they use them immediately. Uh, the initial confrontation with White after defeating Buyan is pretty different in the manga compared to the anime. In the anime, if I recall correctly... There's like a trap door, and they just ascend back up the trap door with the the power pole. I'm not sure if if there's any other differences, but the but the big difference then is Goku actually jumps up and bursts through the floor in the manga, and then sticks the power pole back down to grab Ader and pull him back up. There's a couple other little differences in the way that that confrontation kind of plays out. General White and Goku kind of fighting a little bit more and a bunch of stuff with like the, the gun and things like that. So there's it, it just it plays out just slightly differently. It's not like where we get to and where we go or anything is different. It's just it's almost like I would prefer uh, as we're starting to wind down here on our actual notes and things. We can editorialize a little bit. I would almost prefer if things were more like that where it was this sort of loose kind of adaptation where you begin and end in the same place and a lot of the kind of individual actions that you have in the middle are not the same so that they would feel a little more different from each other. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That sounds really good. But then uh, we also have Muscle Tower is not destroyed in the manga like it is in the anime. This leaves that little bit of a plot hole, especially with regards to Murasaki, right? In the manga, we just move on, we move on from him. The anime does have him just crawl out of the wreckage and use him for a filler episode anyways. But even then, it, deal, it deals with him and it kind of delivers him his final send-off and his final blow. But destroying muscle sa muscle tower so that it can't simply be re-inhabited by the red ribbon army seems like a pretty good move. And then the last yeah. little difference I have is that Ader tries to fix the radar in the manga as opposed to Dr. Flap in the anime. Also, oh, one other thing, Ader calls the mayor who agrees to let him stay in the village. He says, "Oh, thank you, daddy, for letting me." So like he adopts him basically as his father immediately. And that's that's pretty much it. I mean, this is just a, you know, we've gone from this little boy living by himself in the woods in a facsimile of ancient China to one who's fighting through 
technological towers of terror and befriending artificial humans. As we move in the next saga, we'll see a little bit more of this Goku playing fish out of water as he goes through West City. We're going to learn more about Bulma and her family, the Briefs family, which, boy, I can't remember if I left that discussion in a previous episode when we talked about Dr. Briefs. And we all think that that's like his last name. That is not his last name. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, also, be prepared to hear that little anecdote once again in a future episode when we delve into that character and Capsule Corp a little, a little more fully because it's hard for me to always remember all the things we've discussed. But, hey, repetition just helps us all learn these things. That's uh, right. And we'll soon be encountering one of the more interesting and unique characters in all of Dragon Ball, really, that could potentially give us some really interesting discussion points when it comes to things like gender identity and sexuality, or (laughs) it's going to be a complete dumpster fire of outdated and offensive stereotypes. And quite frankly, I don't remember uh, General Blue or the General Blue saga very well. So it could be the latter. I am excited and curious and keen to find out if it's maybe the former and we can have some kind of... Well, you know what? I'll say we're going to have some interesting conversations about it anyways. It's really just a matter of whether we finger wag at Dragon Ball for being, you know, outdated about it or maybe give it mild applause for uh, including a character who's not... 100% 100% heteronormative. Might be a little bit of both. And honestly. it'll probably be a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a safe bet. That's like, that's how we approach, that's how we've approached like every uh, socio political issue that we've come across so far. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. My home turf, middle ground. <laughs> so, I don't know. Is, do you have anything else? I mean, you know, we could talk about. We, we already brought up, like, it would be cool to see this. It's it's tough because it, it's too late for it now, right? Like, it's too late to re-readapt this stuff. Like, But it would have been maybe a slightly more interesting decision to not so much straight adapt it. Well, I mean, and you, you look at the, the, the list of small differences that we have. I mean kind of looks like maybe they were trying to do that with some of this stuff you know and and we talked about this in our other uh, recap episode as well you can see where the, the the creators of the anime are trying to like take these story beats and say okay how can we make them flow just a little bit more smoothly mm-hmm. and so we've got these like you said these little interstitials of a couple episodes after a major arc before the start of another one where in the manga it just it just it's a clean break from one thing to the next with this they try and they try and put a little bit more of a a gradient between things make things run a little bit more smoothly and i i honestly am very happy that they did that for the anime because anybody who's read the manga and then goes on to watch the anime they don't want to just see a rehash of what they've already read. So these small differences, I think, really help keep it fresh for for all fans, not just for people who are who are just being introduced to it. Right. I think that's a really interesting point too. Like especially on the as we transition from one arc to another type of thing, because by virtue of what manga is, which is essentially comics, you know, it's, it's call it what it is, right? 
it's just, it's essentially a, a a comic book, which I I have friends who uh, maybe are listening and are probably committing seppuku over hearing me call a manga a comic. But um, <laughs> <laughs> how much different really is it from like a monthly ongoing Spider Man? Yeah. And by virtue of that type of storytelling, when you reach the end of an arc, you can do a clean break because you have a month until your readers pick that back up again. But yeah, in an, in an anime, especially with the way they do the seasons in Japan of being like, what they're like, they're like 48 episodes. It's not like we have here where you have September through December and then you're off for a bit and then you have February through March and then you're off for a bit and you you get like 26 episodes in a year. No, they get like 46. So you only have a week until people see that character again, potentially, most likely. You kind of have to give yourself this more gradual transition. You also have the benefit, you know, as we talked about in the we did that episode talking about filler and whether filler is necessary. Yep. You have the benefit of the manga being several months ahead of you. And so you have the, it's, it's like having your hindsight built in. You, you have the benefit of going, Oh, he forgot about that character. Let's, let's do something (laughs) with that. And, you know, at least finish that character's little arc off. Granted, that sometimes brings up some problems because Toriyama is wont to do. He then remembers that he forgot about that character like three years down the line. (laughs) (laughs) And he writes something to address them. And then that conflicts with what the anime has already done. That's that very specific. I love how like he'll forget a character and then the anime will do him the favor of like reminding him that this character still exists, but clearly he doesn't actually watch the anime because like you said, he'll just come up with some crazy ass explanation for a character. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's definitely like he, he definitely f- kind of forgets about androids and where they came from and then creates this Dr. Jiro and you know, then the anime is like, Oh, we already did that dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, people making the anime is like we literally had dr flap right there for him to use hey but you know that's that's kind of what makes it different and fun that's what that's what makes <laughs> doing an episode like this where we discuss some of the differences like fun you know because yeah. otherwise there are no differences <laughs> true very true um, and and we're just sitting here going yep and then he punched this guy and then he punched that guy and which, and then next thing we know, we don't have a filler episode. I mean, another episode. <laughs> I'll say once again, I mean, Toriyama's art remains on point. It is like just really dynamic. He's still, you know, because we all know if you if you look at like chapter one of Dragon Ball and then chapter, I don't know, 70 of Dragon Ball, Z, what what is Dragon Ball Z? You, you get some fairly different looking art style. Oh, yeah. he's. I think he's still operating much more in the former, right? He's still a little more, still not quite as angly. Yeah, still, 
but his his fight scenes you can you can see the beginnings of where it's it's going to be heading with all of the fast motion and crazy techniques and whatnot. Right, right. We we uh, we have we have tampered those down a little bit. I mean, you know, and that and that I think is is for the best in a way, right? Toriyama himself said at the end of the peel off arc, he didn't want to just keep redoing that and recycling that and have things get predictable. And by taking us out of a tournament with all of these people who are Goku's equal or superior in physical strength and putting him into a world where he is occasionally equaled, but often very times like they are just more sneaky than he is and not as physically capable. We get a slightly different flavor. Sure. I think it's it's pretty similar to like Lex Luthor and Superman. Like obviously there's no way in hell Lex Luthor's ever gonna overpower Superman, so he's just gotta be more crafty about it. Right. Especially since, you know, Superman and Goku are fairly similar Compared characters. To, hmm. Almost like I did that on purpose or something. <laughs> But I don't know that that kind of wraps it up. I mean, do you got anything else on the, uh, I guess, poorly named Red Ribbon Army saga? Since we're still going to be dealing with this army for a while, <laughs> it was I mean, a it was a good arc. I enjoyed it. I um, I did enjoy. I, we talked about before we got down this Red Ribbon Army part that this was some of our least favorite stuff coming up. But I liked this. Yeah, no, Muscle Tower has always been a high point for me. General Blue, not so much i do appreciate some of the changes they make for the general blue arc so uh but we'll get into those in the future right. i'm sure which last thing this should have been called the muscle tower saga oh absolutely <laughs> i don't know why it wasn't right i'm wondering if maybe they had originally planned for this to be his only interaction with the red ribbon army but at the same time, with all the setup with, with Red and whatnot, I, I don't see why this is the de facto Red Ribbon saga, not just a part of an overarching thing. Well, and especially because the sagas are never named in the manga. They're never called sagas in the manga. Right. It's just, just kind of where things sort of have their more natural breaking points. And so... At this, the, the the sagas are named only in the anime, and they're also only named in the anime like after the fact, like years after the fact, when they went to kind of collect all of their episodes. So they they themselves, the the anime, had been at that point already working on like the general blue stuff, and the manga was probably already into like the commander red stuff. And they were like, yeah. "Yeah, call this the Red Ribbon Army." <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe they thought it more as like, "Oh, this is the introduction to the Red Ribbon Army," and then everything else is just variations on that. I guess Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I feel like Muscle Tower would have absolutely been a better name for it. That's what like most of it is. Yeah. Oh well. well. I mean that's that's it, people. That is the that is three sagas down and several more to go. I don't know how many. <laughs> We're gonna be at this for a long time. We're always trying to keep it a little bit fresh so that 
there is a mainstay and a, and a definite like let's take let's go through the franchise, but also let's bounce around and discover some other cool stuff too. Why not? It's fun. Yeah, that was fun. Hey, I think uh, I think he he may be about done now. Oh, hooray! Now our defeat can be ensured. You're just saying that because his increase in power shorted out your scouter. Give it a second to reboot. So I can be even more terrified and assured of my demise? No, thank you. I think it's time I hightail it out of here. That would be desertion, recruit. Besides, it's too late. I think he's ready to attack. Oh boy, here we go. That's the spirit, recruit. That was sarcasm. Will I ever learn how to interpret Bikini's moods and tone? Was this just a random filler episode because we needed one more to discuss what was going on in the manga and the anime? Will we survive the forthcoming battle? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.